today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. If you are in Christ, God wants you. God did not just kind of put out a casting call and see who showed up and shrugged. I guess these are the Christians. Now, friend, the Lord chose to set his love on you. And that leaves us with an identity of contradiction. When we look at our relationship to the world, we see ourselves and feel ourselves many times rejected. But when we look up to God, what God speaks down to us is, I chose to love you. Open God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Open God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Today, Pastor Ricky will be teaching us the importance of understanding God's unconditional love for us. The Lord wasn't surprised when you got saved because He chose you before the foundations of the world. The Bible says, God in his sovereignty and foreknowledge knew you would respond to his invitation to salvation. The word of God says that no one comes to the son unless the father draws him. So because of God's love, he reached down from heaven to draw you to himself. You are loved. Well, let's join Pastor Ricky for part two of his message entitled, Against the World for the World. The Lord drew us. That's what scripture says. The ESV study Bible, which I just love as a study Bible. I read a number of commentaries on this verse. This is like my favorite comment, okay? It says this, this does not merely refer to, to God's foreknowing that they would belong to him, but also means that he has, listen to this, set his covenantal affection upon them in advance for ordaining that they would belong to him. In other words, in the middle of a culture that has rejected us, that has turned away from us, in the middle of the culture where they, these people that Peter is writing to become strangers in their own land, what Peter says to them is, listen, when you're tempted to be discouraged, remember God has set his covenantal love on you. You're not alone. You know, when I, up until I was 12, um, I was good at basketball because I grew this tall between like ages 10 to 12, right? I was like this tall. So at 11 or 12, I'm a decent forward, okay? And I know this because I've kind of walked by schoolyards and like judged, yeah, probably middle school is where I want to be playing basketball. And, and so I remember I was good. I, was on a, I played at the YMCA. I was good. I'd go down to the post. I knew how to block people out. I knew how to make layups. It was... I, I would get picked first a lot. So, so when we would have like games with people, uh, it would be like, yeah, this person, this person, and then Ricky. I'd be like in the first mix. But then something happened. And that thing was called I Stopped Growing. And the other thing that had happened was since I'd been playing a forward, I never learned to really dribble the ball. You don't have to dribble the ball when you're a forward. You just, they just throw it to you and you just put it in, right? So... What happened over the course of what felt like one year is I went from getting picked first all the time, second, third, okay, to dropping dramatically to where now I'm like trying to not be one of the last chosen, right? So I had like one move that I would like do when they were picking teams, you know, I'd like do the, the back and forth between the, the, yeah, you know, that thing, you know, like, yeah, I could do that, I could do that. And like a vain attempt to try to move up the ranking of who got picked. And listen, I, I joke about it now, but man, it stinks to get picked last, doesn't it? I mean, okay, I just I need to feel some solidarity here. Could you raise your hand if you've ever been picked last for something? 
Okay. Okay, you guys at least know what I'm talking about. All right. It feels terrible. I mean, the suspense is building toward the end. And, it, and you go from maybe I'll get a good ranking to maybe I'll be in the middle of the pack to at the end just praying, let me not be picked last. And I remember, though, when I was like, you know, 15, 16, and we were playing basketball with some guys uh, that, that they were good guys. And so the two team captains were guys that really had some character that weren't just all about winning. And I remember in surprise, as we lined up and the two guys started picking people, I remember, I think this was like the only time that it happened from age 12 onward, the guy said, I pick Ricky first, first, right? And at some level I knew, right, it's not because I'm really good, the guy's being nice. But I'll say this, it felt good to walk out first. <laughs> it really did, you know? And, and I remember that moment. I remember the pain of being chosen last and the joy of being chosen first. And what Peter is saying is on a cosmic scale, we're not talking about basketball, we're talking about the people that God has chosen to set his covenantal affection on from before the foundation of the world. If you are a Christian, hear this, friend, God picked you. Why? <laughs> it wasn't anything to commend us to the Lord. And yet the Lord freely of his own volition chose to set his covenantal affection on us. That is insane. Here's what I want you to hear. If you are in Christ, God wants you. God did not just kind of put out a casting call and see who showed up and shrugged. I guess these are the Christians. Now, friend, the Lord chose to set his love on you. And that leaves us with an identity of contradiction. When we look at our relationship to the world, we see ourselves and feel ourselves many times rejected. But when we look up to God, what God speaks down to us is, I chose to love you. We are, as one pastor I heard put it, the selected rejected, or the select rejects of the world. Now, I can't get much deeper into it than that. I'd love to, if, that, if that's a doctrine that's new to you or you're just freaking out right now, I'd love to talk to you about it. We're gonna be studying much more in the book of First Peter, but, but no, 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 why Peter told him that? And I think that'll be helpful to you. That's our contradiction. But second, let's look at our identity and its source. How did we come to have this identity? Verse two says this, it happened according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Notice this, every member of the Trinity is involved in giving you this new identity. It's not as though Jesus goes off and acts alone because God the Father's grumpy. He's grumpy and that Jesus is like the good Trinity person. It's like, listen, I'm gonna help you guys out. No, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, all of them actively exerting their power to give us this new identity. And look first, the Father's foreknowledge. This word foreknowledge goes beyond, I know about you. To be known by God is to be fully and completely known and exposed before him. Peter is saying that God chose to set his love on you according, or maybe despite, God's complete and total knowledge of your past, your present, your future. And Peter's own example provides an illustration of this verse. Jesus came looking for Peter, right? He came looking for him and called him into his service. And yet, what happened? When Peter stood by 
and watched Jesus be taken away. And people asked him, oh, don't you know that man? He said, no. And then he said, no, again. And in the end, he said, I don't know him at all. He denied his whole relationship with Jesus. And here's the thing. Jesus, in his divinity, when he walked to the edge of the shore and saw Simon Peter and said, follow me, he knew that moment would happen. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, God knew Peter's ins and outs. He knew he would falter later. In the New Testament, Paul the apostle has to correct Peter because Peter almost loses the gospel, but Peter repents and he begins preaching the gospel. Again, God knows all of that about Peter. And so Peter says, according to the foreknowledge of the Father, he chose to set his love on me. He chose to set his love on you. There are two things that we as human beings chase our whole life. We want to be known and we want to be loved. But the hard part is that those often contradict one another, right? When you're dating somebody, there are parts of yourself that you hide in the background because you fear what? You fear if they know me, they will not love me. But to be in that moment where somebody totally knows you, they know your weaknesses, they know your faults, they know your failures, They've seen you at your worst, and yet they go to you and say, I still love you. That, that is what we long for as human beings, isn't it? And what, what, what Peter is saying is, listen, you may feel rejected. God chose you, but he, he chose you according to God the Father, knowing you before the foundation of the world and choosing to set his love on you. He fully knows you and fully loves you, and that's amazing. So God knew, and then he sent his son for sprinkling with his blood. This, this phrase, sprinkling, is borrowing language from the temple in Israel. And it, 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 it relates to the ceremony of, of blood being shed and then sprinkled out to make atonement for sin. And by sprinkling, the, the sins of the people were paid for and atoned for. And, and here's what we need to understand. It is one thing for God to save us, to choose us, to set his love on us when it costs him nothing. It is another thing for God to save us when it costs the blood of his son. It is one thing for God in eternity past to look at us and say, I, I like that guy. He seemed, you know, I like him. It's another thing for him to set his covenantal affection on us, knowing that the price of his love for us would be the blood of his son. Our identity is a blood-bought identity. It's not a whim, okay? It's not as though the Trinity was being moody. God was being moody and said, you know what? I like that guy. He's not bad. Let's just take him. No, no, no. This was a, a plan from eternity past that required the shedding of the blood of God's own son. And then in the sanctification of the spirit, according to the knowledge of God, by sprinkling with his blood in the sanctification of the Spirit. Here's what I want you to hear. God does not choose us because we are shining examples of righteousness and goodness, okay? No one is righteous enough to attract God's attention or God's salvation. This word sanctification comes where it does, that, that God knows us, and in the sanctification mean in the process of making us more and more like God and like Jesus. So God chose to send his love on us. He sent his spirit to do it. And when we believe in him, he sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts to make us more and more and more like Jesus. 
And what that means is that God didn't look down and see like some righteousness in us and go, you know what, I'm gonna, that guy's a good guy, I'm gonna pick him. God doesn't love us because we are good. He loves us and then makes us good. God does not save us because we are good like God. He saves us in order to make us good like God. God doesn't save us because we are useful. He saves us and then makes us useful. But the glorious news is that because that's true, our identity is forever secure because it does not come from ourselves. You know, this, this week, I, I got on the roof to adjust my air conditioner on Friday, and I won't spare you the details. I thought, man, why isn't this thing working, right? So I climb up on the, on the, on the evaporative cooler. I'm looking at it, realize, okay, we don't have really enough water coming down into the pad. So I started adjusting it. I was lazy, didn't turn off the water first. The thing sprayed straight into the motor, killed the motor. I have no AC, right? So I'm angry. I'm angry because I chose to do something stupid, and then I did something stupid, right? I created a situation where it was likely that something stupid would happen, and then I went ahead and did something stupid within that situation. So I come down. My wife is trying to help me. Like, babe, it's okay. It's going to be all right. This is not like a $5,000 repair. We'll be able to do this. Um, And I'm angry. And so I speak harshly to my wife. And then I go into the bedroom to change. And then I feel bad that I've done something stupid, that I'm useless, that I can't repair air conditioners, and I feel bad that I'm angry, and then I feel angry that I'm angry, right? Be like, I should be more sanctified than this. What is wrong with me, right? And that was, in God's providence, the day that God said, I'm going to have you write a sermon. So I left, I left from there to go to the coffee shop to study First Peter. And I remember thinking, ugh, this is the worst, right? But then I began to study First Peter. I began to study the things we're talking about. I began to see that, that God totally knew me before I was born. He chose to set his covenantal love on me. He sent his son to die for me. He sent his spirit in me to make me more and more and more like Jesus. But, but he, it was almost as if the Lord grabbed my face and said, look at me, look at me. I did not love you because you were useful or righteous. So in this moment where you feel useless and seem unrighteous, I still love you. I still choose you. I still set my covenantal affection on you. Brother and sister, if today you find yourself discouraged, hear this. Your identity is so precious that it costs the blood of God's son, but it is so secure Because God the Father chose to set his love on you. The Son shed his blood for you. The Spirit is in you. And the Trinity, friend, listen, rejoices over you today. Your identity is not in who you are or who you were. It is in who God has made you and is making you. And I need to be clear about something I've been saying in Christ, in Christ, in Christ a lot. Friend, if you're here today, maybe you don't know if you're a Christian, maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian Friend, you do not have this identity. If, if you have not turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus, all that I've described does not apply to you, but it can. But this text is an invitation for it to apply to you. 
We have all, every single person that's in this church, that attends this church, that's a member of this church, we have all turned away from God. We have all pursued sin instead of God. We have all been found trapped in our sin and our rebellion, but what we found was a door marked, come, all who thirst, and find your thirst quenched. Come, all who are guilty, and find forgiveness. Come, all who are unrighteous, and find righteousness. And friend, that door is held out to you today. If you feel anything in your heart stirring and thinking, maybe that door's real. Maybe it's actually possible for me to be fully known and fully loved. Maybe, maybe everything the Bible says is true. Maybe Jesus is real. Maybe God actually does love me. Fred, I want you to, I want you to hear from the other side of the door. It's true. And it's better than you can imagine. So what we want to urge you to, to do today is walk through the door and see the glorious truth written on the other side. God loved you from the foundation of the world. Don't delay. Turn. Walk through that door today. Very, very briefly, I'm just going to hit the third point here. Uh, our identity and its purpose. Now, this is something that's only hinted at here, but it's going to be pulled out throughout the whole letter. And, and the, the, the question I want to ask is, okay, so God has has created this identity in us for what? The goal, as Peter kind of hints at, is obedience to Christ, that we would look more and more and more like Christ. So we, we are to be people that reflect Christ, that look more and more like Christ in both our character and our mission. So our character should be more and more and more Christ-like. We should look more and more like Jesus. And as we do that, we will more and more and more take up the mission that Jesus was on and has entrusted to us. We will obey his command to go, therefore, and make disciples. And Peter says this gloriously in chapter 2 and verse 9. He says this, listen, you are a chosen race, a, pro a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may, in other words, here's your purpose, God has done all of this for you and in you so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to proclaim who Jesus is and what he's done for us, both up to the Lord, just in glory and worship of him, but out to the world in an invitation to find light in a nation, in a city, in a time of darkness. Steve Timmis, the pastor who wrote the book that I recommended earlier, says this, we have become outsiders just as Jesus was an outsider. The world has unchosen us, but God has chosen us. Just as we share in Christ's suffering, so will we share in the glories that would follow. And God has chosen us for a purpose, that out of all the nations, you would be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. In other words, a people that would go between God and the surrounding peoples. The doctrine of God's election of us is never intended as an indulgence. His purpose is always mission. In other words, if we are to hear the good news that God has chosen us, we must hear the second part of the news that he has chosen us for a purpose. Not just to sit there and go, oh, yay, I'm so glad God loves me. No, God chose us to do something. Peter says that the point of God's work in us is that we would be brought into obedience to Christ, that we would reflect him and proclaim him for the good of the people around us. 
So I want to end with an illustration here. Um, Athanasius was an early church father who fought the heresy, the ancient heresy of Arianism. Uh, the heresy taught that Jesus was not fully God, he was just a created being, and Arius was popular. He wrote hit songs that he got people singing in churches, and this heresy spread like wildfire. Wildfire? Did I just say flower? Yeah, not flower. Athanasius battled this heresy, and he won against the heresy in the Council of Nicaea, only to have Arius wriggle out and go and kind of influence kings and powers and churches. And, and Athanasius feel, felt embattled and alone, and he actually got sent into exile because people turned against him. And a friend came and brought him news of how things were going on the outside. And so Athanasius says, well, friend, how, how, tell me, what, what's the news? What's happening out there? And the friend replied to Athanasius, Athanasius, the world is against you. Meaning all of the, the governments out there, all of the, many of the churches out there, everyone seems to be lined up against you. You seem to be utterly alone in the world. And Athanasius famously replied, then I am against the world. Athanasius, the world is against you. And he replied, then I am against the world. In other words, Athanasius was so sure of who he was and what he was meant to do that it did not matter that kings and nations were aligned against him. He was secure in who he was and what he was supposed to do. And in the same way, friends, we are to be, in, in a sense, embracing our title as exiles of the world, that we wouldn't care, wouldn't be swayed, we wouldn't be discouraged by hearing this part of culture is against us. This other thing is against us. This person in our workplace is against us. No, so be it. But I wish Athanasius had added something. Because Athanasius, by standing against the world, actually ended up saving the world. Um, Athanasius ultimately, history proves out, won in that, against that heresy and began to be revered as a great church father. And by holding firm to the gospel, he preserved it for generations and generations and generations of people. He and his stand led to the salvation of the people sitting here because we have the true gospel. So in many ways, he stood against the world in order to win the world. And if I could have added anything to what Athanasius would say, and relate it to our identity from 1 Peter, it would be this. We are, friends, we are against the world, but for the world. We stand firm, unflinching, holding on to the truth of Christ, but we do it because we know that we must preserve this truth at all costs because this message alone gives sight to the blind. This message alone heals the brokenhearted. This message alone is how the unrighteous can become righteous. And so we hold doggedly on against the world for the sake of the world until he returns. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. something that many people have little of, and yet we clamor for the latest this or that, believing that our longing for hope will be fulfilled. 
Pastor Ricky will be teaching through the book of 1 Peter here on Better News Radio. We'll learn that hope is something that is beyond this world and that our lives will become holy once we hope in the eternal. For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. Sometimes it is just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. That's betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. We also encourage you to follow the Better News Radio Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP, where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in and please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio. Better News Radio.